good to see everyone out tonight. Uh, we have a decent number. Glad you could all be here. We could have this time together to worship God in spirit and in truth. I uh, have a message that I, you've heard before. Of course, I haven't preached anything new to you yet that I know of that's not already been preached. But I was thinking about back when I was in Memphis School of Preaching, and you remember I told you that every class that we attended, we had to answer roll by using a memory verse. And sometimes they would give us a list to choose from, but others would just say, pick one. And so as you can imagine, one of our favorite verses for two years was John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. Well, they caught on to that after a while, so then we moved on to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. The Bible says, rejoice evermore. And after a while, they said, that's enough of that one. So then we moved to verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Well, actually, those are all great verses. They all have great meaning. But one of my favorite is right there in that same context in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I want you to notice what the Bible says here in verse 21. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Look at verse 22. Abstain from all appearance of evil. If I had just a short list of verses that I was permitted to teach to our world and I could choose the verses this verse would be one that would be definitely on that list if there was just a few verses that I could teach my denominational friends that they would understand 1 Thessalonians 5.21 would be one of those verses just think what a difference it would make in the religious world at large, if they would all put into practice what this verse teaches. Prove all things. When you look at that, you know right off the bat he's telling you to prove, to test, to try, to examine all things. Notice, all things, not some things, not a few things, not most things, but we are to examine, we are to test, we are to prove all things. Now when we go about proving things, we must make sure that we're using the right source of proof. There are a lot of wrong sources that people use. A lot of people claim to be proving all things, and in one sense I guess they are, but they're using the wrong sources to prove those things. For example, some say, well, you know, it just feels right. I know it's right because it feels right. Have you ever heard someone say, it just feels so good it can't be wrong? It just feels so good it's got to be right? Well, you remember in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, we find these words, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It just feels right. I feel it in my heart. You remember in Luke chapter 18, verse 10 through about verse 14, there were two men that went down to the temple. 
a publican and a Pharisee. And you remember that old Pharisee, he thanked God that he was not as other men and he boasted about all his doings and how religious that he was and he, he thanked God that he was not like that old poor publican. You know, in his mind, I'm sure the Pharisee thought that he was the righteous one, he was on target. It just, it just seemed right, it felt right to him that everything he was doing was right in line with God's word. But that poor old publican that just smote upon his breast and said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Well, in that Pharisee's eye, he didn't have a chance. Why? Because it just didn't feel right. We can't be trusting in our feelings. When it comes to things of a religious matter, a religious nature, when it comes to pleasing God, we can't just go by what feels right. I'm also thinking about some that I've studied with over the years, and, and they would say things like, well, that's what my mama taught me, or my daddy believed. That's what I grew up practicing. And so if that were the case, then those things that they were doing probably felt right to them. But mom and dad's practices does not make a thing right either. You remember Stephen said to those Jews in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, he said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hard and ear, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Well, their Jewish fathers had rejected God. And he said to them, look, you're going to be like your fathers? You're just like them. You're walking in their footsteps. You're practicing their religion. I used to hear a song from time to time, give me that old time religion. And I believe there was a verse and it said, somebody's good enough for mom and daddy, it's good enough for me. Listen, we don't need to use what mom and daddy taught as our standard. Even if mom and daddy taught us what's right, we still don't use mama and daddy for our standard. And in most cases, mom and dad didn't teach right. And if people follow them and use them as a standard, a source of proof, then they will be wrong as well. Then what about, well, you see some of these huge church buildings that's being built all around us. And you see these just scores and scores and scores of people that are attending their religious services. And it might be the case that some that don't know better might think, well, there's got to be something right about what they're doing because look at the numbers. Well, you know, there's something to that, perhaps, when it comes to fishing and shopping. You know, my dad, when we'd go fishing out in the bay, and he loved to fish for trout, we would ride around in that huge bay until he found a lot of boats anchored in certain places. And you know what we did? We would ease right up in there amongst those boats, and he'd put out his anchor, and we'd go to catching fish. You see, we looked for the majority. If we just saw a boat here and a boat there, we didn't pay them much attention. We looked for the majority, where the people were gathered together. Same thing true with a lot of restaurants, you know. If they're real busy, chances are pretty good there's some good food in there. But it doesn't work that way when it comes to matters of religion. Jesus said, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wise is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in there at. Because straight is the gate, and there is the way which leadeth unto life, listen to him, and few there be that find it. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. 
I'm also reminded of what was said in Numbers chapter 23, verse 2. Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. So really, if popularity is one standard, then they just need to look for the, the masses. But that doesn't line up with Scripture at all. Actually, it goes against what Scripture teaches. And just think about this. If it's all about numbers and popularity, well, then Islam would win hands down. We would be wrong, and they'd be right. If it's about numbers, then God should have killed Noah and his family and saved the people. You see, it, it doesn't work that way when it comes to matters of religion. If, it, if that were the case, then guess what? Jesus was wrong and the world was right. We don't use popularity. We don't use numbers as a source of deciding what's right and what's wrong. If that were the case, every time you moved to a different community, you'd probably have to change your religion. You go to Salt Lake City, guess what? You've got to become a Mormon or you're going to be wrong. But yet, it's amazing how many people use that as a standard, as a source, to decide where they want to attend and where they want to worship. And I would say it's probably true even in some churches of Christ, some church members, when they move into an area, perhaps they look to see where the, the largest congregation is because they figure, well, they've got the most going on and drive right past a smaller, very sound congregation where they probably ought to be worshiping. Just because there's a lot of people there does not mean that's where you need to worship. That's not the right standard. It's not the right thing you use to prove a thing, whether it's right or wrong. And then some people just use their conscience. That kind of goes along with their feelings, how it feels, how it seems, their conscience. You know, a conscience is a good thing. God gave it to us for a reason. But a conscience must be taught right. Because you see, if you were of a different persuasion, and that's the way you've been taught, then that would feel right to you. Your conscience would say, this is it, this is good, this is right, because that's what your conscience has been taught. So a conscience that is taught wrong will, will do you wrong. So a conscience is a good thing, but we can't say as many have, let your conscience be your guide. That's not a good standard. You see, because the Bible teaches a conscience can be defiled, Titus chapter 1 verse 5. And Paul talked in 1 Timothy chapter 4 about verse 2, how that a conscience can be seared with a hot iron. You know, when something is seared, it becomes hard. Hardened. Uh, the example I use many times, if you were to burn your finger with an iron multiple times, every time you did that, your skin would become harder, tougher, harder to penetrate. But the first time, it's very easy to draw a blister. And so that's the way one's conscience can be. It can be hardened. It can be it can be seared, and a seared conscience is certainly not something that you would want to follow. And then, of course, we always have what other people are doing. You've heard about them. They're called they. They say. I never figured out who they are. 
but they say this and they say that and they do this and they do that. Who are they? Well, just because they're doing it, we're going to do it because that makes it right? Of course not. You know, other people can say, well, this is true or that's true. That, that doesn't make it true at all. It doesn't make it right just because people say or they say whoever they are. No, there's really only one right source. When Paul said prove all things, he's talking about prove them by God's word. That's the only true source that we are to use to prove what's right and what's wrong. You see, God has already determined a long time ago before we were ever born what was truth and what was not what was right and what was wrong we don't determine what's right or wrong we only discover what god has already determined and if we don't we'll be lost if we use these faulty sources to prove a thing to be right or wrong we'll be lost there's only one true and accurate source, and that is, of course, the Bible. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17, Paul said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, unto all good works. Why have we been given the Bible? It is our instruction manual. It thoroughly equips us. It tells us every single thing we need to know. Why do we need another source? Why do we need to go somewhere else? When we have the Word of God. The Word that came from the one who created all things. The verse that I like to use a lot that I would put right with 1 Thessalonians 5.21 is Colossians 3.17. And whatsoever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord simply means by His authority. And if we don't have His authority, we don't have His approval, then we can't do those things. You see, we can't just preach anything we want to preach. We can't teach just anything that comes to mind. We can't put into practice just anything we want to practice just because somebody else says it's okay or because someone else is doing it. We have to have book, chapter, and verse for the things that we preach and the things that we practice. And so whatsoever you do in word, that's the things that you say. And indeed, that's your actions. Do all in the name of the Lord or by his authority. We must have his approval. In 1 Peter 4.11, Peter said, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. In Revelation 20, verse 12, the Bible says, John writing, And I saw the dead, small and great. He saw them all, and they were all standing before the throne of God. And he saw the books. He saw the 66 books of the Bible, and he saw another book, the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the book. So Paul said, prove all things. Examine it in the light of God's word. Make sure what you're doing and what you're saying has God's approval. First and foremost. 
And then he says, hold to that which is good. Well, to hold means to secure those things proven by the Bible to be good. Listen, if someone's practicing something religiously that's not found in the Word of God, that's not good. If someone is teaching something that is not found in the Word of God, that's not good. But when we hear something that comes from the Bible, it's good. When we see things being practiced that come from the Bible, those things are good. And Paul says, you hold on to them, you cling to them, you secure them. Because they're good, because they're from God. In the next verse, verse 22, he says, abstain from all appearance of evil. The word abstain, we know what that means. It means to refrain. Don't have anything to do with it. And I notice here he says, all appearance of evil. In my mind, that says, if I'm not sure that it is in God's word, if, if I can't find his approval for it, I better leave it alone until I'm sure. You know, when you first become a Christian, you know a little bit of Bible, but you had to know some truth to be a candidate for baptism, right? You got to be taught first. Christianity is a taught religion. Once you obey the gospel, then you realize how little you really do know. And especially when you're young in the faith, there are things that we've been commanded not to do and things we've been commanded to do that you may not know anything about at that time. So when you come across something and you're like, I'm not sure if it's okay to keep doing that or not, then stop. Study. Ask. Research. Until you know it's okay, you stay away from it. If it has the appearance of evil, you stay away from it. Stay with those things that are good, things that can be proven with the Word of God. So I ask the questions, and I could ask many, but questions such as, where does the Bible teach that man is saved by faith alone? Where does the Bible teach that we are to be baptizing little infants for sins, the sins of their forefathers? Where, where are the verses in the Bible that teaches man is already saved prior to his baptism? Where do we read about sprinkling or pouring for baptism? You see, all these things I'm mentioning, there are multitudes of people that are practicing these things. But yet they don't understand, evidently, that we are to prove all things, and prove all things by the Word of God. Sometimes you hear people thanking God for being able to join the church of his choice. Where's that in scripture? Join the church of your choice? Thanking God for all these different denominational churches and different persuasions? What about for taking the Lord's Supper monthly or quarterly or yearly on special holidays? Where's the scripture for that? Where is the scripture for women preachers? Where's the scripture for wearing human names, man-made, Methodist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Catholic. Where are the name, where's the proof? Where's the source? Where's the proof in God's Word where those things are authorized? What about preachers wearing titles like reverend and father and pastor? Doesn't that go on all the time? You've been watching the news, I'm sure, lately, and from time to time you'll see they'll have a guest uh, person on there and he'll be pastor so-and-so or reverend, reverend so-and-so. 
and they seem to be very proud of those titles. Where's the proof for all these things? We could just go on with a list of questions. You see, as I've said many times, we are not divided over what the Bible says. We're divided over what the Bible does not say. As long as people out there speak where the Bible speaks and are silent where the Bible is silent, we're not divided. It's when they add to God's Word, when they take away from God's Word, and that's when we become divided. If they didn't do that, they'd be the same thing that we are tonight. They would be Christians, members of the Lord's Church, and they would be worshiping God the same way we do. Because we have book, chapter, and verse for everything that we preach and everything that we practice. You see, we have proof that you have to have faith in order to be saved, Hebrews eleven six, but without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. But we don't have proof that one can be saved by faith alone. The Bible teaches you're not saved by faith only. But also, repentance. We teach people they've got to repent of their sins. Why? Because Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, I tell you, neighbor, except you repent, you shall likewise perish. We teach people that before they can be saved, they have to make the confession that they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Why? Because Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. We have proof that one has to be baptized and that for the remission of sins. Acts 2, 38. When they asked the question, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter answered and said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Isn't it so nice to know that what we teach and what we practice can be found in God's holy and divine word? We have book, chapter, and verse for every single thing we practice. Isn't that what Paul's telling us? Prove all things. Hold fast, secure that which is good, but abstain from all appearance of evil. That's why we can't go out here and fellowship people in their religious activities that are not in harmony with God's Word. We can't fellowship that. Because we've got to abstain from all appearance of evil. We cannot even bid them Godspeed, 2 John 9 through 11. If we do, we are going to be guilty of their evil deeds. You see, the truth separates us from the rest of the world. We've got proof that there's only one church. The Bible teaches that. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, Upon this rock I will build my church. And Acts 2, verse 47, the Bible says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The Lord's church had its beginning on the day of Pentecost, following the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ in A.D. 33. There's only one body, Ephesians 4, 4. And that body, again, is the church. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. The Bible says that has put all things under his feet. God put all things under the feet of Jesus and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. What is the church? It's the body. How many bodies? One. How many churches? One. That's so simple. It's hard to misunderstand it. We have authority for wearing the God-given name that we wear. 
If I ask you tonight religiously, what are you? You're going to say, I'm a Christian. And, I, and if I asked you now, why do you call yourself a Christian? Do you have a God's approval for that? Do you have authority for that? Well, of course, you could go back to Isaiah 62 too, and you could talk about how it was prophesied all the way back there that when the king saw the glory of God and the Gentiles obeyed the gospel, or uh, had the gospel carried to them, that God would call his people by a new name. When you get to Acts chapter 11, you find the Gentiles, Cornelius' household, first Gentile converts obeying the gospel. In Acts chapter 10, when you get to Acts chapter 11, verse 26, the Bible says, And the disciples were called Christians, capital C, first at Antioch. You see, a Baptist can't say, Well, yeah, I can show you why I'm a Baptist. It's right here. Can't do that. A Mormon can't go to the Bible and say, look, I can show you why I call myself a Mormon or I call myself a Presbyterian. I can show you. They can't do that. No one can do that. It's not in here. But Christian is. No kind of hyphenated Christian either. Not this kind of a Christian or that kind of a Christian. One of the questions that you'd have never been asked if you lived in the first century is, of what denomination are you a member? Oh, no different denominations then. You had your Pharisees and your Sadducees and your Essenes, people like that, other religious people, but there was no denominations that existed in the first century. There was only one church, the Church of Christ, but yet there were many congregations, but only one church, one body, and those disciples were called by God Christians. We have authority for preaching, Acts 2.42. They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. They continue in the preaching, the teaching of the apostles. We have authority there for praying, Acts 2.42. You go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, and you'll see where we have authority for singing, and that is vocal music that we are to teach and admonish and speak to one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with our hearts unto the Lord. We have no authority for pianos and organs. We have no authority in God's Word for choirs, quartets, solos. It's not in the Bible. When we are to sing to one another, that's a reflective pronoun that's used as a reciprocal pronoun, which means we reciprocate to each other. I sing to you, you sing to me. We sing to one another. Solo won't do that. A choir won't, won't handle that command. We have authority for giving on the first day of the week, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 and 2. We have authority for partaking of the Lord's Supper on every Lord's Day. And when the disciples came together on the first day of the week to break bread, Acts 20, verse 7. We have authority for the things that we teach. All the way down to even putting the kingdom of Christ first in our lives. Jesus taught us not to be anxious. Not to be worried about what we shall eat or wear. Or where we shall live. If we'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All those things will be added unto us. Or oh, if I could get this passage across to our friends. If you could get it across to your friends. 
prove all things. They don't even want to be challenged that way. A lot of them don't even know what they actually believe. And with most people that I've studied with over the years that have been somewhat religious, I've pretty much had to teach them what their faith teaches because they didn't even really even know how sad it is. But the good thing is there's hope because many have never been taught the truth. And it could very well be the case once they do listen that first time they may do like us, like we did. They may see it, respond to it in a positive way, and be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, may we also remember that as we launch forward into the future, that we make sure that everything we preach and everything we teach and everything that we practice comes right out of this book. Nothing else is any good. And when we hear the truth, may we love it with all of our hearts. And may we secure it within us. Don't ever reject or deny or try to change any of God's Word. If you're here tonight, if you're not a Christian, we encourage you to become one by doing the same thing that people were doing in the first century and that is believing, repenting, confessing, being baptized for the remission of your sins and then we encourage you to continue to live faithful unto death, Revelation 2.10 if you're here and you need to respond if we can assist you in any way won't you come as together we stand and sing